Hi guys, welcome to episode 9 of the To Be Fit podcast. I'm delighted today to be joined by another Mac Nutrition University student in uh, Sarah Bourne from Bournemouth, which I think is great. Um, Sarah is a personal trainer, again, from Bournemouth, but she is under the name Sarah Brooks PT. This is the joys of getting married. Everything just goes to pot. We feel sorry for you, uh, female listeners who are going through that process. Sarah, how are you today? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. I like the old Bourne from Bournemouth. I'm thinking of trying to use that in my... Um, if I if I branch out to do just nutrition, I'm I'm wondering how I can work that somehow because it, it seems like too good an opportunity to miss. Well, there you go. <laughs> I mean, it's, it was meant to be, I think. Yeah, that's why I chose him, basically. <laughs> is, that, is that the only reason you married him? Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, you couldn't have just got your name changed. <laughs> we've already went on a tangent um sarah if you wouldn't mind just uh introducing us um to who you are please yep um well i'm sarah Bourne now um or brooks for if you're looking for me on on the internet um i've been personal training probably for 15 years or so now um so quite long in the industry although learning all the time um everything has changed so much and is a completely different place now luckily um from when I first started um I actually started with massage therapy and thought because I was always interested right from school days in biology human biology I thought I loved how the body worked it fascinated me you know I'm one of these people that will sit and watch you know there's a tv program last night open heart surgery and I was like oh yeah I love to do that um so I started with massage, sports and holistic, but quickly found that I was never going to make any money. Um, being a female sole massage therapist, I really wasn't getting the clientele that perhaps I would want. So um, I then was in the gym constantly myself, um, always training and found that people started to ask me questions instead of the PTs down there. And we're like, well, you, you should do this. You seem to be, you know, a people person. Um, why not do that? So that's sort of how I started my journey. I um, trained in PT because of my own love of fitness um, and kind of went from there. So I, I built my business up whilst working in dietetics, actually, for the NHS. Um, and I had a, a, a part-time job in there alongside building up my own business. And, and that's kind of where it's brought me today. Excellent. So to help paint a little picture for the listeners, uh, you know, how old are you, may I ask? Oh, I'd have to kill you if I told you that. <laughs> <laughs> how okay. How <laughs> how long have you been in the industry then? So about fifteen years. Well, I've got a twenty six year old daughter and a twenty one year old son, so that might put it in perspective a little bit. <laughs> but you've been in the int- industry for fifteen years. Yes, I have, yes. Okay. So it's probably shifted massively since when you began it I mean I've been in it for maybe 10 12 so mm. I know kind of how it's kind of went from from yeah then. totally so what, yeah. what what was it kind of like when you were first starting out well when I did my training I think you go and I trained with future fit and I I trained with them and you you know you have your syllabus and you you learn it all and it's all you know, at the time, probably as evidence-based as as they think it's going to be back then. Um, and then you go out in the big wide world and suddenly you find 
influences, you know, influencers um, spouting all this stuff. And, you know, as a newbie in the industry, it's quite easy to get led down the wrong path, I think, you know, especially if something seems to be, you know, all the cool crowd are doing this. um, I need to be part of it. And I think that's where my journey took me. Um, whilst I had, you know, all the qualifications as a, a new PT, I worked in gyms, I knew, you know, how that would be done. I found through social media, um, a group of other PTs, um, led by a, a guru. Um, and it was so far from evidence-based, it was untrue. And I think that led me for quite a few years to be, not where now I cringe looking back at it put it that way so did you find you got sucked in yeah and I think it was it was very clever you know obviously we all know that gurus are a bit smoke and mirrors and a bit you know all about the marketing and you know this particular group they would and you know it wasn't a small group it was you know a a couple of thousand strong at the time of sort of PTs so it wasn't a tiny little thing um but he would put up courses um so for example the elimination diet was what was sort of the way to eat at the time um and a course would go up you know and it was the whole book now book today always tomorrow it's going to be a hundred pounds more expensive and you know basically it was like the weekend queuing for the Spice Girls tickets online, you know, you had to get in there and get that ticket. Otherwise, you, who were you? You were a nobody. And that was how you were really made to, to feel. And then, you know, you paid all this money. You went up to London for one or two day courses and you were part of the current in crowd. And, you know, looking back at it now, I think, wow, you know, how easily led we can be because, Obviously, as we all know, unless you are a celiac, you don't need to cut out gluten. You know, unless you're dairy intolerant, you don't need to cut out dairy. Yet that was common ground. And you were made to feel like you were some second class citizen if you had, you know, milk in your tea or something. You know, it was that much of a a cult, I could only say, actually, is for, for a way to describe it. Yeah, and I think this is one of the frustrating things about our industry is how cult-like many of Mm. these um, zealots become when it Mm. comes surrounding their nutritional choices. And, you know, they kind of try and force people to almost take on these beliefs themselves. Exactly. Um, And you are another kind of, I don't want to say a victim, but I just did, of the Mm. the precision nutrition um, qualification as well. I am, yeah. I mean, I think going from what I had learned through this whole other sort of system, I felt like it was the closest to being more realistic. Um, But I think, as you've said, you know, it was a bit underwhelming, really. You know, I've studied A&P countless times now, and it seemed to be a lot more about that, a few little behaviour tips thrown in. And that was about it. And I think I was looking for something more, which is sort of, you know, why the MNU has really resonated with me because I feel like, wow, at last we've got science, common sense, things that you can relate to and actually things that I probably was doing 15 years ago before getting into this situation. Yeah, so, I mean, we're going to go back um, soon to when 
to your kind of um, personal journey mm. through um, this fickle industry and how it's <laughs> kind of affected you negatively. But first, mm. you know, I just want to say you're absolutely right. This is kind of the course that this industry has been crying out for. And I urge any kind of personal trainers to... Mm you know, invest in themselves, they'll get unlimited value from it. The community is absolutely crazy. Um, you know, it's it's crazy good and positive and it's yeah. full of um like minded individuals but also critical thinkers and absolutely. you know, they're not um put it a better way, like circle jerkers, you know, they're not like mm-hmm. everybody's like if somebody says something wrong people will say it, but they come at it from a very positive angle and if you've said something wrong you take it as all right i've just learned something not yeah very not judgmental well exactly and i think we're all in that mentoring lab and within the kind of uh group to to learn and better our service um but yeah so going to yourself um you know and in, in messages you told me that you were a healthier individual both physically and mentally mm-hmm. prior to becoming a personal trainer do you want to kind of talk yeah. a little bit about that totally i mean you know before i became a pt i was in the gym 24 7 really i um i mean to be fair i was going through a divorce at the time that i decided to do this so i i figured that i needed a career i didn't want to go and just get a job um but i needed to work so I decided that I'd retrain in something, hence the, you know, PT nutrition route. Um, And I used my exercise as therapy, you know, stress relief, all the rest of it. So, you know, I would drop the kids at school at nine. I would be in the gym. I would do gym sesh. I would go to body pump. I would do, you know, I know that's a bit of a dirty word sometimes in our industry, but, you know, it was fun at the time. Um, I would go for a run later on. I, my daughter had a dance mat. I would spend an hour doing dance mat because it was good fun. Um, and I counted my calories. You know, I didn't know a lot about macros or all that stuff. Um, but I stuck to a calorie deficit and I was in pretty good shape. You know, I was, again, another dirty word in the industry. I was toned. You know, I know that word doesn't really exist, but it's what everybody relates to um and I was happy you know I was a a nice comfortable size eight I was still curvy ish um I didn't have any food hang-ups I was eating a healthy calorie controlled diet and then enter the fitness world and this whole elimination thing and suddenly you can't eat bread, you can't eat pasta, you can't have yogurt, you can't have milk, you know, you can't have alcohol. I'm not a big drinker, so that wasn't a big issue. You can't have any processed food. And you were left with, you know, a very natural diet, but one that gave you so much guilt if you dared to have, you know, a little bit of milk in your tea. Because, you know, believe me, I've tried them all, almond milk, coconut milk, none of them taste right in a cup of tea. (laughs) It's just, it's just not for me. Um, and you know, you'd go on these courses and you know, it was quite funny, you know, you'd go and everybody would be like, who has the healthiest lunch, you know, according to this, these rules, you know? And, um, 
And then afterwards, you know, people would be reporting that, oh, somebody had gone out and eaten a Mars bar or actually the person running the course had eaten a pizza. And you were like, oh, my God, you know, how terrible. And and it's just so ridiculous. It's just, you know, almost outrageous, really. But that was how it was. I mean, we went up to a um, a conference in Nottingham um, and the local stores all sold out of like nuts and spinach and all the rest of it where everybody had gone absolutely crazy on like trying to outdo each other with with their healthy food um and for some reason I I can remember meeting up with a couple of guys who I'm still friends with today and we were a bit like they've got roast dinner in the in the hotel should we just go and get that (laughs) and we did and then you you know like don't tell anybody (laughs) because it felt like you were doing something so outrageously wrong whereas you know now today you're just like that's crazy it's just you know weird what an idiot do you yeah (laughs) yeah yeah i mean i can even remember to the point a girl that i was friends with who lived locally to me who was all part of it as well she posted up in the group something about her child had um had teeth out and and needed to eat something you know soft and and sort of okay for her to eat and somebody suggested custard well, you should have seen the comments that came back. Oh, but it's dairy. You can't give your child dairy. And you're just like, she's just had her teeth out. It's not going to kill her. <laughs> but that was how it was. Uh, well, it's it's not a, um, I mean, if you even compare it to the likes of um, slimming clubs, mm. you know, that it's kind of almost similar that to a certain mm-hmm. degree that people within that club are, mm. are brainwashed, you know, and the, yeah. they get taught this method um mm. that just doesn't really have any credible mm. um kind of backing and you know the maybe the studies that they do cite if they do cite studies mm. well, they yeah well you know sometimes these places do and the mm. they obviously firstly don't expect anybody to read up on them and then mm. secondly if people do know what they're actually looking for mm. And how yeah. can I kind of critically analyze this bit of information and go, yeah. um, actually he's talking shit, you know, and a lot of these books have people, and I think it came up one about wheat belly and somebody, yeah. somebody yeah. had went through all the sources and basically yeah. like kind of, I mean, who's Dicked got, who's, yeah, yeah, who's got time for that? Well, someone does and yeah. obviously wrote a massive blog about yeah. it. Um, but I think when, things are written in a book or if people are given this illusion of being the um the leader that generally creates some sort Mm -hmm. of buy-in you know and if thousands of other people as you say are following it it, there must be something in it yeah that's the way it was i think there wasn't such a thing really as critical thinking and this evidence-based you know nobody ever mentioned that i hadn't heard of it i didn't know what it was even if it even existed back then. I mean, obviously, there's always been evidence for things, but it didn't seem to be the way people went. And like you say, if you've got somebody with enough charisma, and I mean, to be fair, he did have that. You know, he was very good at drawing people in. And like you say, you know, if if a thousand other people are thinking it's great, then surely it must be. And also, you know, following that down through to your clients, it was very much at the time have you heard of I think it was called velvet rope or something like that so you basically if you didn't have a client that got through your velvet rope type of thing in other words they weren't going to follow you to the letter 100% of what you suggested 
you got rid of them. They weren't a client you wanted, which goes against everything I believed in to help. And I never did that. I never got involved in that because actually the clients that are have the most baggage or history of you know failed diets are the ones that you really really need to help and try to help not the ones basically it was too hard work people you know if somebody wasn't 100% compliant with your wacky rules then you got rid of them they were no good to you as a client and I never went down that route thankfully Um, but you were made to feel that that's what you should do and you know following down from that there became mini gurus you know of people that um, then set up their own little groups. And I remember a, a PT friend of mine, we joined one, you know, it was like a, a 30 day fat loss thingamajig, you know, like they do. And we met up um, at Gunwharf Keys actually for lunch. We went to Wagamama's and, you know, we were going through the menu. What can we possibly eat? You know, nobody was there to see us, but it was that indoctrinated in us that we had to to follow these rules that we practically ate nothing and we were just too terrified of being kicked out of the group because basically that was what it was if you don't do what I say then you're out even though you'd paid money for it and that was kind of how it was and and then it got more and more extreme it was like then you couldn't eat fruit and then you you had to have cold showers because it got rid of brown fat and all this sort of stuff and you know at the time nobody questioned it nobody thought is that for real? Because you just trusted, which is a crazy word now looking back, but you trusted these people to be giving you the right information. Uh, but for me personally, that became, well, I, I can't eat dairy, I can't eat fruit, I can't eat this, I can't eat that. But that would lead to, well, I'm sod it, I'm just going to eat a whole packet of chocolate digestives. And, and that sort of relationship with food became quite skewed in a way because you had massive guilt over everything you ate and the foods that you were eating were perfectly healthy it's just that you've been told they weren't and it took me a long time to get used to the fact that I could go out shopping with my friend and have a sandwich without feeling guilty over it because it was bread you know and that stuck with me for quite a long time yeah and these sort of feelings don't just go away and I've, I've experienced that with clients where literally telling them they can go and eat bread or toast mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. jam on it, you know, and like have relatively a certain amount of processed food within their mm-hmm. diet and still be yeah. healthy, you know. And again, yeah. we talk about healthy um, as a kind of an overarching sort of um, theme throughout mm-hmm. the podcast and, you know, what is physical, mental, emotional health. Mm-hmm. You know, and food will massively influence all of those things. Was it, um, so obviously when you started getting fit, people started noticing and maybe kind of encouraging you to take up this personal training. Um, Was it kind of fairly quickly after you qualified that you found this kind of um, cult, if you'd like? Yeah, it was really. And and also I was working in dietetics as well at the time. So you had the two massive extremes. You know, you had a very government-led eat-well plate that I was doing weight loss groups for um, and also working with obese children as well. Um, and that was in complete contrast to what this PT life was offering, you know, where it was cut out this, cut out that. And I did manage to separate the two, although my brain was constantly in, you know, opposition. It was kind of like, well, if they were my clients, then I wouldn't do that with them. I'd do this with them. 
Um, and I remember telling some of the dietitians that I was going to this elimination diet course and them saying to me, oh, you know, I take it with a pinch of salt if I were you. And, and me thinking, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. But of course they did. <laughs> you know, they're dietitians. They've trained way more than any of us have. Um, I mean, I know Martin says a few things about dietitians these days, but, you know, I think compared to our P basic PT qualification, they clearly know a lot more about nutrition than we do, or, you know, from a basic level anyway. And, you know, I was so sort of brainwashed that I thought, you know, these people out there, these gurus knew more than, than trained dietitians. And of course, you know, that wasn't the case. I think it's a lack of maturity as well, isn't it? You've mm -hmm. still a kid at heart, really, when, you know, you're kind of like, well, I know best. And... Mm. I was thinking, I was when I listened to your podcast with Shannon, I was thinking, you know, what she's young, she's 22, 23 or something, I think, and, and thought, oh, how lucky she is to have found this right at the start of her career, to have been set off on completely the right foot with the right information. And I was a little bit envious of that. I thought, oh, you know, you're lucky that you... But then, you know, experience shapes us, doesn't it? You know, what, what we've experienced, clients may have experienced too. So, uh, and I, Yeah, ways. and I think, I, you know, spoke to Anna about this and I think it kind of, the more shit you've been through and the mm. more personal experience you have, the more mm -hmm. empathy you can give people and you can kind of always go, listen, I've been there, mm -hmm. I've felt this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Don't, don't worry, it, it all comes yeah, good in the it. end, you know, and... Um, you know that certain exposure to poor um, information allows mm -hmm. you to at least kind of find the the right information through trial mm -hmm. and error, which I think is again a, a lost concept amongst people. Mm, definitely, I and mean, it it also went down into exercise as well. You know, suddenly cardio was out. You know, only losers did cardio. You didn't need to do that. It was all about time efficient. You know, ten minute. HIIT workouts etc etc so then you you know for me I was like oh I don't need to be spending all this time doing cardio and I don't need to do that and and everything that I did that worked for me I kind of dismissed and and chose habits and things that didn't work for me but other people were telling me that they should and I think you know now like I said in you know a little while ago it's very hard to get out of that mentality you know, and I, I look on Instagram sometimes and some of the people I follow, you know, they put up the little infographics that we're we're now learning to do. And there was one the other day that had like all the low calorie snacks and everything. And then part of me still goes, oh, but they're all processed and they're not healthy because it's so, you know, in there as a way. And I'm thinking, actually, no, it's fine. And you know, I've got a client that that really relates to. And I copied it and I sent it to her and I said, oh, I've sent this. It might be of use to you. But still, and I'm very good at portraying the right information to my clients, but inside there's still that little part of me that's going, you've just said they can have a low-calorie Milky Way dessert, you know, <laughs> rather than Greek yogurt and berries. And, and it's just, I don't know, it's a little bit stuck, I suppose, at times, which I, I'm enjoying unravelling again through MNU, I think. Yeah, and I think like you know, you touched on it with the uh, the cult like mentality, and mm. people are very much sheep. And I think, you know, for me who has 
dieted to very low percentages of body fat like what i'll do is very much against the grain in the Mm. kind of bodybuilding circles you can't Mm. eat that you know if it's it's and it's very much like well well you can you can actually enjoy this Mm. process and to a lot of people it's like a badge of honor making their Mm. diet ridiculously squeaky clean or yeah yeah. and like it almost becomes like right how can i one-up myself and before they know it they've kind of almost given themselves a a disordered um eating pattern i guess i definitely say that my eating was disordered for a few years through that period without a doubt definitely that whole you know thinking about all the guilt around food, you know, and that's one of the things that comes out so much now is that, you know, my favourite quote was the, there is no unhealthy food, no unhealthy meal, just an unhealthy diet. And that's so true. Yet put into the context of what I've been talking about, you know, that just doesn't fit with it at all. You know, there was literally, you know, a nutrient was unhealthy, you know, it was just outrageous. Yeah, and I think a lot of these people just mind it find it threatening to maybe Mm. their i don't know um income essentially that if they're being told well this is bullshit and then Mm -hmm. you know like no no they're gonna defend it and they take it very personally and Mm. i think but then we have the tv documentaries don't we that come out you know like the truth about carbs which was not the truth at all and you, you know you put that out there on bbc one or what have you and the general population watch that and they will take it as the truth because it's on tv you know a bit like when things are written in the papers which obviously are learning now with sort of having to look at research to see whether there is any basis for it um the general population don't do that they read it you know of the morning and then they go to work and they tell other people it's been in the paper it's been on the tv and then it's the truth again another thing that martin said isn't it? if you say it enough times it becomes the truth and that that's what happens with our industry a lot yeah and they don't understand like absolute risk versus relative risk and you know hearsay for example um breakfast is the most important meal of the day and it's just kind of it, it's just so um you know known that nobody dares question it and yeah exactly um and most of us have said those things as well i mean i can remember saying that because it's something you like you say you've heard it enough times but again funny enough i'm not really a breakfast eater so it's um it's one of those things that you you believe because you've heard it but you don't necessarily practice because it doesn't fit with you yeah so i just out of curiosity um after that you experience with um the cult we'll call Mm -hmm. them uh when did you kind of move on to precision nutrition because i can see this kind of more becoming right a transition to more Mm evidence-based and precision nutrition was essentially the Mm -hmm. only um qualification around that we felt maybe yeah i think it was really and i think whilst i was doing all these things it never sat right with me so whilst i was being the sheep for want of a better word i suppose going along with it i didn't truly believe it it was it was sort of you know i I was being told this but i wasn't deep down believing it so i never pushed a lot of that stuff onto my clients um thank god um and i mean a little bit fell through but not all of it um and then i think i probably found John Berardi and Precision through they put a lot of infographics up which which seemed quite helpful you know and I still use the plate model today you know his plate model of you know the half a plate of 
veg, um, quarter starchy carbs and quarter protein. You know, it's not a bad model to use. So he, he did have some good information out there. Um, and I suppose I probably found that five, six years ago. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking it's around then. I can't really remember. I haven't, I did it and I haven't. Sorry about that with just little internet connection uh, issue. <laughs> so what were you saying? Sorry, you were talking about uh, precision nutrition and you haven't kept up. Uh, I don't know. That's where you yeah, went off. Yeah, I think, I, I, I think the, the best bit of information I got from that was the plate model, really, the, you know, the portion size that they talked about. And I think that's quite usable for people. Um, the rest of it, I've kind of put you know that maybe some of the habits you know the habit-based approaches um but other than that I think after doing that I was just finding my own way really um until more recently where I found this and and you know with with the inflation that we've had already and we're not that far into the course you know you can you can go back on your old experience and and think wow okay well that was so wrong or I knew that but I just wasn't 100% confident in it and that sort of thing so you know I'm finding this really useful and you mentioned to me in a message it's kind of like going back to square one almost uh, mm. yeah of... I think so because you know we all know calories do count and it, it was so refreshing when I started seeing that coming through because it's always something that I've believed in yet you know it's when it's almost like having a blindfold on you you know that somebody's there in front of you but you can't see them and it was a little bit like that um you know it was something that I deep down was resonated with me as being correct because it's what we learned you know when you first learn all this stuff but then you've got all these other people telling you no because purely their their systems are more sexy aren't they they sell more if you you don't want to count calories that's a bit boring that's a bit old school um, but of course we know that that's, that's the case. And, you know, I started seeing people starting to post about it and I'd be like, Oh, oh, that's interesting. That's somebody that believes that's the case. And then it almost snowballed, um, to a point where everybody has come full circle to the view that, you know, calories do count. And when you see people posting something that doesn't, you know, people would jump on them, um, straight away now and and it's sort of refreshing to see because you know that the the correct information is actually filtering through so going back to kind of your relationship with nutrition and uh well relationship with food um kind of how long did that last you know and um what was kind of the implications around that was the eating excessively binging anything like uh -huh. that not really not I wouldn't say binging but I mean certainly doing some of those courses you know where you were so restricted you would be hungry your brain would be saying there's nothing wrong with eating a banana it's healthy for me but I'm not allowed it has too much sugar in it and then you know there being a packet of biscuits in the house and you suddenly you're so hungry you're eating this packet of biscuits and you're going oh my god I'm eating biscuits that's terrible um and and I think there was just this whole yo-yo between what my sensible part of my brain was knowing to be fat and then what I'd been brainwashed into thinking. Um, you know, along with that, I I was training a lot. I then got, got injury. Can't do... And... 
found myself doing nothing. So like stopping training because of my injuries, um, probably going almost the other way. Because of course, then you've got, if it fits your macros came in sort of probably that was the bit, that was the transition bit between PN and where I am now with the, if it fits your macros or flexible dieting. Um, of course, that was mainly put around by guys. So, you know, you've got a, a professional fitness guy, you know, a PT who's training a lot. He can get away with eating, you know, his 3,000 plus calories a day. Um, but he can fit his, I know they always used to love the word Pop-Tart, don't they? But, you know, he can fit his Mars bar in if he wants, or he can fit his bit of ice cream in if you want. But when you're like five foot three like me and wasn't exercising particularly hard, you know, my calorie intake is relatively low. And so you can't fit all those goodies in that everybody's talking about. You know, you can have some, but you can't have the degree that they want so then you're a bit like oh that's a bit unfair because they can have all of this and it just seems to be going from one bit of information to another with with none of it really making much sense to me um but you know if I go back to my roots and I was counting my calories I think I was on about 1400 a day and I didn't know about you know the importance of protein and all the rest of it but I'd go to the gym I'd train I'd come back out I'd have some brown toast and marmite you know that was my post-gym snack um I didn't realize whether that was good for me bad for me it fitted in my calories for the day you know I would probably have a pitta at lunchtime with chicken and salad in it and then I'd have some kind of home-cooked dinner and it worked for me you know um and that was quite basic everyday normal people's eating but I think you know going through the whole process of you can't have this you can't have that I lost sight of what I could and what I couldn't eat and it became a battle um, of guilt, really, all the time. You know, should I be eating this? Is this healthy? And there's still little parts of it that, like I said, you know, when I said to the client about eating eating a Milky Way dessert because it's lower calorie um, and it fits in with her calories because she wants something sweet to have, there's still a little part of me that's sort of going, is that right? Is that okay to do? So, you know, it's not 100% out of my head yet, totally. Which I think again, which is why I've you know I've come back to the Mac Nutrition that's going to put it all very straight from a very evident perspective. Yeah, well, I t can what we're going to do is just turn the video off just to make sure that we don't have any more connection interruption. So we should still okay. get the audio. Um, so I don't know if you can press your video one on that. I won't edit this out because that takes time. <laughs> but um, uh, yeah. Perfect. Um, so yeah, talking about like if it fits your macros, the kind of it almost become the the big fuck you towards the clean eating, and it went yeah. from one extreme to the other, where it was kind of almost like going from how clean can I get my diet to now how dirty yeah. can I get my diet, and so true, yeah. And, totally. I, and I think it's kind of like it just goes to show the extremism of people mm. within this industry because. I myself did that, you know, one year prep, clean eating, next year prep, if if it fits your macros. And arguably mm -hmm. I got better I did get better results doing the if it fits your macros because it was a lot more relaxed. Yeah. Um, you know, and it kind of was the the avenue in which kind of led me to go, well, actually, you know, can I refine this? Um 
and I did probably take it too far as well. There was no, yeah. I w- I, there was no flexibility within my nutrition. And this is something that I want to kind of highlight with people that flexible dieting isn't, mm. if it fits your macros, it's, it mm. kind of is an inclusive diet of all of these strategies and methods. So you can track your calories, you can intermittent fast. Yeah. Um, yeah. You, you know, it, and I think when people hear flexible diet and it's just been so kind of, I mean, put parallel with if it fits your macros, I just want to get that out there that it's not. Um, yeah. Um, so nutrition for you now, how's that kind of looking? You mentioned that you're, you're tracking calories again. Yeah, track my calories, um, you know, think about protein, don't get too obsessed with it. You know, um, I'm I'm interested in the gut health route i mean i i think a, a lot of again probably from and actually i only think i listened to something martin said yesterday or the day before maybe it was in one of the lectures about if you cut dairy out for long enough when you have it you will have a reaction to it so of course then people go oh, i can't eat dairy it doesn't agree with me but you just have to rebuild up that tolerance to it so of course cutting out gluten cutting out dairy cutting out all this stuff when you start eating it again you do get some symptoms from that. You know, you do get bloated, you get all these things. Um, And so then you start thinking, well, maybe it was right. Maybe gluten is bad for me and all this sort of thing. But it turns out sort of over the last year or so that um, I have got some degree of IBS. So I did the low FODMAP diet for a few weeks. It didn't make a huge amount of difference. And there was part of my mindset where I was thinking, I really don't want to go down the route of being told what I can or can't eat again. You know, I I don't want to remove broccoli. I don't want to remove um, all those healthy things that I know are good for me. Um, So I've I've sort of done a fair bit of research into what there is out there on gut health. Obviously, um, Megan Rossi's got some brilliant stuff and the lectures that are in the lab are awesome on that. I've done the first-hand experience of the low FODMAP and and sort of cutting out too many foods for too long isn't good for us either. Um, so I think for me now, I'm very focused on, you know, eating the plant-based diet more so. Um, luckily, I love veg and fruit. I always have done. Um, having my good sources of protein, having a bar of chocolate if I want one, and not obsessing over it and not stressing over it and it not being anything to fear. Um, you know, no food is bad for you. Too much of one food isn't great for you. You know, just bringing it back to basic terms. Um, you know, and doing the optimal health lecture that we've just done, you know, it's actually quite simple. <laughs> it's not nothing too complicated. I think I was expecting it to be, well, you know, you have to eat this, that or the other and set amounts of stuff. And it really was just eat more plant-based foods, eat less sugar, eat less fat, you know, be healthy. But what we all know to be healthy, and it's not that complicated. We just, in the profession, like to make it so. Yeah, and I think, I mean, I said this last podcast with Simon. I've made a post of it, and I'll say it again, that, you know, nutrition and training are simple. It's people mm. that are complicated, and, you know, so pe- people have emotions around certain foods you know and different preferences so it's hugely important as a coach to um like obviously explore them um areas Mm. 
Um, yeah, totally. And um, like that's what you obviously messaged me prior to the podcast that you know you mm-hmm. you had these expectations going into these um, this module potentially maybe mm-hmm. having the answer you know getting the yeah. answer what is and I think that's what everybody's looking for is the holy grail of nutrition what are the yeah. per- what are the perfect macros what are the yeah. perfect what is the perfect diet and like and it just doesn't exist does it, it and, <laughs> yeah you know and, and that's the thing and a lot of people I think within my nutrition it's been kind of a continual refinement that it's Mm. now to the degree that it just isn't a stress and people will Mm. potentially ask me about my diet and really they're asking for kind of like little snippets like what am I doing wrong what can I improve in and like for Mm. me I'm just like it isn't all that exciting yeah um I mean what uh sorry say again I think that's what came out in the lecture yesterday. It isn't all that exciting, is it? You know, being being told to eat more more plants, to eat less sugar. We all know that, surely. Everybody knows that. I don't think you could go out on the street and most people wouldn't know that that was what was right for them to do. It's just people putting it into practice. Yeah, and I think we spoke with Shana and and mentioned Mm -hmm. this. Everybody's looking for that silver bullet, that thing that they think they're missing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. It's like somebody in the industry is keeping it a secret and, you know, someday there'll be the answer and it's just not that complicated. Yeah, and and that's, I think, the beauty of it and that's why I love the the coaching process because, like, you really empower your clients to go, holy shit, Mm. actually, this is a piece of piss to to manage. Mm. Yeah, that's it. It doesn't have to be complicated. And I think... You know, I speak to friends and, you know, I've heard people come up with, oh, I'm doing this diet or I'm doing that diet. And sometimes you just want to scream. It's just like, you just don't have to do that. You know, I've got one particular friend that every time she wants to lose weight, you know, she's going to cut out the carbs, can't have any carbs, but she doesn't understand what carbs even are. You know, her to her, carbs are bread, rice and pasta and that's it. So you can't have that if you're trying to lose weight. You know, but she'll still be sinking like three glasses of wine in the evening, and you sort of go. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes you just you be banging your head against a brick wall, and I, I, you know, I hope that the right information gets put out in these TV shows at some point, so that everybody does realise what what you need to do. And I think, <laughs> and I think with all the shit out there, that's why it's even more important for us as the minority. Um, to continually put out good information such mm-hmm. as you know podcasts, infographics, yeah. blogs, videos, um, daily stories, just to really kind of, I don't know if we think about our learning process, we've kind of almost repeatedly daily listened to the same shit over and over again just yeah. to kind of like drum at home. Yeah, totally. And, I, and that's what it is. It goes back to that saying, if you say it often enough, it becomes the truth. So perhaps if we say the truth often enough, the truth will actually get out there. Well, well. But it, it, it is, it's a very interesting, the whole, the whole thing. But, you know, my clients are very average, general population clients, um, you know, mostly fat loss, um, sometimes 
health, um, fitness, just general. You know, I've got quite a few older clients. I've got a lady who I I trained before you today, um, speaking to you, and she is 70, and she came to me because she wanted to do the Inca Trail and she wanted to be fit enough to do so. You know, and for a 70-year-old, that's nothing too complicated. But, you know, these people aren't looking to have amazing physiques. They're not looking to stand on stage and compete. I've never had that sort of client. Mine are your everyday people that don't know where to turn for nutrition. So, you know, making small changes to these people can make a huge impact on their lives. And, And that's the great thing about what we do. And that's what I love. You know, when you see somebody having the confidence that, whether it's fitting into a dress they wanted to wear or whether it's sending me a photo from the top of the mountain that she's managed to climb up, you know, that's awesome. And that's what makes me do my job. Yeah. And I think that's why, and that's the population that I really enjoy working with, you know, mm-hmm. and kind of giving people the, the empowerment to manage their own nutrition and yeah. life. Um, okay. uh, and that's maybe why I don't really, share images of myself because people do put two and two together and they think oh he looks like that that's maybe what they're gonna he's gonna try and make me do and it's like well no 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 this this is my shit this is what i like to do i don't preach it i don't tell everybody they need to be doing x y and z um so i think that's that's very true because i've i have a high percentage of male clients and they have all said to me that they find what's out there quite intimidating so um they obviously I'm not gym based I train from home or I go to people's houses um and they've all said to me they don't want to go to a gym they don't like that whole atmosphere and you know men more than women which actually surprised me are more intimidated of you know the big muscular guys um obviously not young guys but once you get to the 40 plus category you know that they just don't they find it intimidating so they they tend to seek me out because they think I'm not and I I suppose I'm not I'm very average I'm very normal um and and that that seems to work well for me you know they walk through the door and and they're immediately relaxed they don't have to compete in bicep size or anything like that although I have to say I am stronger than some of them (laughs) sometimes boom (laughs) (laughs) yeah and I think I mean I own a gym with my business partner Stephen and um mm. obviously I train the way I train and mm. obviously to a certain degree there's a demographic there we we want people not necessarily who um already uh, we want people who uh, want to take things back to basics you know and that's yeah. the gym design that's me as a nutritionist um and an educator and whatever a mentor or a coach is mm. to to help people understand really how simplistic health can be. And, you know, yeah. you mentioned at the beginning, like things like body pump and the old, yeah. the old Ian would have kind of went, yeah, body pump, what a load of shite. Whereas yeah. like, I'm very much, I mean, we don't do that. And obviously mm-hmm. as a gym and we will never do that because mm-hmm. that's not us. However, like we've got to kind of check ourselves at the same time because we don't want to kind of discriminate against what other people's preferences are and like if people yeah. love going and having a bit of a, a dance and a chin wag with their friends mm-hmm. and it's contributing to their health in a beneficial manner mm-hmm. then great the moment they start like comparing themselves to 
somebody who is like lifting weights and mm-hmm. you know that's where you gotta maybe go right yeah but specific so on and so forth yeah no i agree totally because you know that whole thing i mean you know, that's our industry it's very judgmental isn't it everybody should be doing it the way we're doing it or it doesn't count and you're so right you know if somebody enjoys going to do it and they're moving it's better than sitting on the couch at home doing nothing um good on them you know if that's their bit of exercise for the week then they're you know doing better than a lot of people that are doing nothing so who are we to judge them for what they want to do just because we do it a different way I I totally agree but again that was a big thing in the industry everything got knocked if it wasn't the way that you specifically did things well yeah I mean we this is what I'll say to clients generally is we have fundamentals yet Mm. Like there's many things that we can do to meet them requirements and Mm -hmm. it it doesn't have to be perfect. You know, like this Mm -hmm. whole, for example, protein intake, everybody's like, you know, kicking off if you you have like two grams per kilo Mm -hmm. or whatever, you know, even if you're not Mm -hmm. resistance training. It's like like me personally, I have a probably a higher protein intake than recommended because it satiates the hell out of us and I really enjoy it. Yeah. And it doesn't necessarily, like, someone will hire PubMed study at us, and I'm like, fuck off. <laughs> yeah, it works for me, that's yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, like, well, yeah. Exactly. It doesn't make yeah. us any less of a person. You know, I'm going to go tell my son that I'm a bad person because, you know, I'm going yeah. above the two, the 1.8 uh, threshold. No, exactly. Are you putting protein, are you sneaking whey into his milk? <laughs> well, don't tell, uh, don't tell our lass. but uh you know that's the thing with my child like nutrition wise it's like i'm not i'm not like overly anal with it i'm relaxed Mm -hmm. i want them to experience these things and i want them to be healthy from all aspects not just Mm -hmm. physically and he's a a baby yeah exactly do you know what it's one of the it's probably going right off topic but one of the things that has always confused the hell out of me is that when you have a baby you know, you either breastfeed it or you feed it the nutritional formula that's all, you know, designed for babies and then you wean them and it's all like, oh, I've got to buy, you know, organic carrots and I've got to do, everything's perfect, you know, I can't possibly give them any crap. And then suddenly they get, I mean, I didn't do this with my kids, but it seems to be the norm is they get to two or three and that goes all out of the window and suddenly they have what I call kids food you know it's the chicken nuggets it's the fish fingers it's the little baby pizzas it's the dinosaur shapes you know where do you go from one extreme of of being so careful with what you feed them in a couple of years to suddenly giving them you know what I used to call crap (laughs) so well Frankie's already on the nuggets (laughs) is he (laughs) yeah but uh I think that's a thing, like, obviously, the way marketing is presented, you know, they, they make fucking, you know, chicken bits in the shapes of dinosaurs. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's crazy. I never bought into that, really. I just, mine just ate what we ate, and yeah. I just gave them, you know, my son's the fussiest child in the entire universe, but even he didn't really eat what I call kids' food. He ate his own version of 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 what he wanted to eat at the time um but it's always just amazed me that whole transformation of you know the whole pureeing up perfect portions of food to suddenly buying it frozen you know in the frozen aisles it just seems strange i mean like not just like obesity rates but children's obesity rates and diabetes rates are just 
escalating you know and it's just a hugely food environment sort of um issue and like this kind of brings us on to maybe like our last kind of little topic and you mentioned that you work within the the, the diastetic side of things and and we've been given a homework assignment of you know if we were the government what would be our five health tips um mm. that would generally improve the the united kingdom's health i suppose yeah yeah uh, i think you know it's got to be the fruit and veg you know i know it's probably a bit boring to everyone because everyone's been trying to get the whole five portions a day but you know having looked into the gut health aspect and all the rest of it and the fiber and and how good it is for us that has to be included somehow um you know the the movement the exercise the neat you know at school I remember being at school and we were very active as kids you know we had PE three times a week we did cross countries I hated it I hated every second of it I was so not sporty but I still did it you were made to do it um you know every playtime was out in the playground and you were skipping you were running around you were being active and I think kids are so not doing that these days you know their PE is not three times a week they aren't encouraged to be active all the time and I think we need to to get in at a grassroots level and start them off how we want them to be as adults um and and let that all come back in you know cookery that used to be or home tech or whatever they call it these days um that was part of our ev my everyday schooling. You know, we had that in our lessons. Now you have to choose to do it. You know, I, I think that we should put those back in as children. And if you've learned it as a child, you know it as an adult. Because, you know, your what you do in childhood is so set for your adult years. And having worked, as I said, in the NHS with obese children, you know, they're they're learning it from their parents. They're not being taught any any other way. It's just completely new to them. Yeah, and I think with this homework, because it is such a generalistic sort of approach, we've got to maybe keep in mind the the less, um, well, well, the more kind of uh, lower economy intake sort of people. Yeah. You know, because there's places up in the northeast that are just kind of like, you know, borderline shanty towns. Yeah, yeah, but then a jacket potato and beans, you know, that's not a bad meal for a, a child rather than a a microwave, I don't know, burger or rustler's burger that's on offer down the shops or something. I don't know, you know, there it's just education, and I think a lot of a lot of people haven't got a clue. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we've got we've got improved like neater general activity level so mm. if we were to say it right for a definitive like ballpark would you say like right aim for ten thousand steps a day yeah i guess i mean that's that's the norm isn't it that's what yeah. everybody relates to that's you know you you get a fitbit and that's what you're aiming for your ten thousand a day um and it's probably not a bad figure to work towards i know there's been programs on the tv that have said oh it's it's more important to to do you know, 10 minutes here or there and the 10,000 hasn't really got any basis. But I I quite, I buy into the Fitbit mentality. I quite like it. I know when I wear mine, I'm more active than when I don't because it makes you look at it and, oh gosh, I've only done this today. I need to go off and do something. Whereas when you aren't wearing it, you don't think so much about it. So I think they're a good tool. I mean, they're not 
they're not infallible you know they're not 100 percent. i would never go on the calories on them or anything but from an activity point of view i think that they're quite a useful tool to have yeah with the fitbits i refer to them sometimes with clients as activity points instead of steps because they realize yeah. they move their arms you know it it, yeah. it clocks up and i'm like yeah well it's just a kind of ballpark so aim for ten thousand activity points yeah. per day you know and i think most people have phones so if the you know the argument that we can't afford a fitbit it, yeah. most people have phones with pedometers on but even that you know even if we had to kind of say ten thousand steps or you know a certain time frame of walking or something like that mm. um it's yeah. just trying to make it you know the great thing about the feedbacks and the pedometers are the uh the fitbits and the pedometers that they do give that feedback that yeah and you know some of them actually give you kind of urges to go out and do steps if you haven't moved yeah. for like 50 yeah, minutes mine will bleep at me and tell me you know you've not moved for the last hour or what have you where, where i've been catching up on these lectures whilst i've been away I, i've been even more inactive and you know it is actually quite good to have that little reminder to say right actually you do need to get off your backside and do something um and i think also it gives everybody a starting point because if you take a very inactive person that's not used to doing anything at all maybe has a sedentary job at a desk and you suddenly say to them do ten thousand steps you know, you have no idea what they're currently doing, but yeah. from your baseline of, of a Fitbit and you realise they're only doing 2,000 steps every day, that's a massive increase. So, you know, aim for 3,000. When you're comfortably doing that, aim for four and, and build it up that way. So, you know, they, they do provide a baseline for us too. Yeah, and I think that touches on, like, people's attitudes towards nutrition and training, that they think they need to have these kind of huge leaps, you know, mm. in in massive changes and sometimes yeah. like just having a kind of like you say i set my watch at five thousand steps like and i i blow that out the park i'm generally fifteen thousand, but it's just mm. a it's an easy box to tick and it is yeah um yeah i like know, it um and yeah i just feel like if i you know i'm thinking about it whereas i don't yeah. i don't really want to um let's look at oh, four more so you mentioned fruits and veg yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, they're talking about now, you know, aiming for 30 different fruits and or plant-based. It's not necessarily fruits and veg, actually. It's plant-based yeah. foods yeah. a week. So that does include your oats and your whole grains and your nuts, seeds, um, olive oils, all those things that are non-meat-based, I suppose. Um, aiming for 30 different ones, you know, that whole eat the rainbow thing, all the different colours that provide so many different nutrients and and for our gut health and all the rest of it and that's something that I quite like you know I think you could be creative with that you can have you know a blackboard up or a whiteboard up and you know mark down how many different ones you've had in the week and you know if you're only hitting 10 then again the same scenario aim for 12 you know add two different ones in because people are very creatures of habit aren't they you know they have their go-to recipes they have their go-to veggies that they eat you know oh, i eat an apple every day or i take a, a banana to work with me you know i have peas and carrots for tea you know well okay that's great well just add in some courgette tonight or maybe take some apricots to work or take a bowl of blueberries or raspberries or just you know vary it so i quite like that idea but i'm a, i'm a proper color person so all the different colors appeal to me 
Brill. Um, <laughs> any right? We've got three more. Um, any what springs to your mind? Um, probably one that I really need to work on myself, but I think again is another one that seems to be emerging with a lot more um importance these days is the whole sleep and recovery and meditation type thing you know the downtime the chill time um that we're in our busy lives we we seem so bad at you know everybody's on their phones till they turn their lights off you've got a tv going you've got your computer on you've got your phone in your hand possibly your ipad you know people don't switch off from it and then people aren't sleeping so well you know people are highly stressed these days and meditation or that sort of relaxation time is is seen as a bit hippie or as a bit sort of out there and actually the more podcasts I read and the more information I look at you know everyday people are bringing this more into their lifestyle and I I think that's actually a quite a good one to to bring in as well so sleep and stress management yeah I think so and then you've got to go for hydration you know, the old water or the height. That's another myth, maybe. You know, it has to be water. You know, you can't have you can't have squash in it or you can't have anything else. It just has to be pure water. That was a very clean eating yeah. um, thing. And and I remember actually quite re- – I quite like water, so I don't have a problem with drinking water. I don't like sweet drinks at all. Um, but I remember I follow a, a dietitian um, – who appears on the TV quite a bit. And, you know, she said, I don't like water. You know, I take diluted squash and she didn't have a problem with it at all. And I thought, oh, okay, maybe that is okay. You know, if you've got a client that's not drinking anything, surely drinking some weak squash is better for them than being chronically dehydrated all the time. So, um, yeah, hydration has got to be in that list, I would have thought. Yeah, the irony with, like, diluted juices, like people that are preaching how bad it is, they're like wasting hundreds of pound on shitty branch chain amino acids, which essentially yeah. do the, do the same thing. Just make a uh, just. Okay. I'm just like, just drink some sugar free ribena, mate. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and yeah. Um, right, last one, number five. So we've got so far steps, fruit and veg, or plant based uh, sleep, stress, hydration. Number five. Um. Any thoughts? It's- it's probably to cut down on on the processed sugary high fat foods you know everything's supersized isn't it these days you know you you go out no longer is a normal mcdonald's okay it has to be supersized you can't just buy a normal mars bar you've got to have the king size one so probably just going back to portion control and cutting down on on the amount of stuff that everybody eats but how you would actually enforce that is is huge isn't it i don't know how you would do that yeah and that's that's one of the hard things with that one is like everybody's interpretation to what is processed um Mm -hmm. to a certain degree everything's processed um so we need to kind of like with with these statements they're relatively sweeping so you've got to kind of almost think how are people what what i'm saying how are people interpreting interpreting oh, that, yeah. Yeah, totally. yeah i mean that, there was the little example wasn't there of the amount of chemicals in blueberries yeah. and it was huge and then you say to people oh do eat anything with anything you can't pronounce in it well then you can't eat anything basically yeah. but you know getting that across to the masses i don't know i mean 
I don't know, the food companies have, in my opinion, have got some responsibility. You know, they don't have to always offer us this extra luck. What was wrong with just having the normal size? It's because it makes more money, of course, isn't it? But um, Yeah, I mean, if I, if I was in charge of the food labeling system this is something that i was thinking about is like i would have maybe still a traffic light system but mm. focus on like protein and calories but have the ratio um that will depend on what the color is so a green one would be a high protein to relatively low right. calorie intake okay and then a red would be like low calorie uh sorry low protein high calorie and then you could right. do, you could do that with micronutrients to calorie ratio mm -hmm. as well, you know. So it's just kind yeah. of two separate things. And I was just thinking, how can we kind of really get across what is kind of good and bad? Essentially, mm. I don't like using them words, but you know, what no. is maybe a better or worse choice? And yeah, just give people a little bit more understanding that hey calories is the most important thing. Then secondly, yeah. maybe look at your protein. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like labelling could definitely be more involved. I mean, it has it has got better over the years. You know, a, a while ago, we we didn't have a clue what we were eating. So at least you can look at a food label if you know how to interpret it and see um, basic understanding that, you know, it's OK for you or it's not that great for you. But like you say, you could improve that with you know, this is a high calorie food on it. You know, people are still going to make their choices if they like it, they're going to buy it. But I think manufacturers are probably scared that that will put people off and then they won't buy it any longer. So, but it would be handy to have because like you say, people go around the supermarket, they're tired after work, they grab what they think's an easy choice. And, you know, you probably find the same thing when you get new clients come to you and you, I, I go through quite a comprehensive lifestyle questionnaire with them and, and ask them a lot about their eating habits and what they do and sometimes you listen to what you consider to be very basic that's not such a great idea and they just haven't got a clue that it isn't and I sometimes wonder how they don't understand but you know if you've gone through your life not reading about nutrition not looking out for it just thinking you know what you're doing is okay then probably it is a surprise to you yeah. you know I had to a lady recently, she um, she lost, I think it was about two and three quarters stone in about four months. Um, a middle-aged lady came to me with absolutely no confidence whatsoever, um, was going through the menopause, suddenly felt unattractive, overweight, didn't like wearing clothes anymore. You know, she was in a bit of a bad way, really. And just from our initial consultation before she even signed up with me, she was drinking countless glasses of orange juice a day. She was having coffee shop coffee a day um, and other drinks. And, you know, I said to her, you, you could have a whole meal of calories for what you're drinking and she just said, well, I thought orange juice was good for me. You know, the calories didn't even come into it. And I said, well, you know, if you just swap your orange juice for a, a water or a, a low-calorie squash, I said, you're going to save yourself 500 calories a day. And, you know, that was free information I gave her before she even signed up with me. And she was like, oh, I hadn't even thought about it. And, you know, she, she put that into practice. She did sign up with me. And we didn't work together for a long amount of time because she achieved what she wanted to achieve. Um, but she's a different person today. You know, she's full of energy. She's lost the weight. She's starting to enjoy 
wearing clothes again and she's got some information about what she can and maybe should do less of you know and that's quite simple it's nothing complicated no and i think it's formed her life and i think that's where in my eyes the the bad coaches within this industry that that make the clients think that they have to stay with them to maintain Mm. these results and really success in our eyes is like we want to get you up to speed as fast as i humanly can you buy 10 sessions with me i want you basically there if you decide to stay with me like my long-term clients now we we don't we're just kind of like keeping them you know like accountable to a certain degree you know i'm like i'm like mate i'm haven't got anything new nothing's really happening in the fitness industry yeah i think that's that's what i have i i have short-term clients that come to me for a boost they might come because they've got a wedding or a holiday they're short-term clients and they come for their results then i have what i call my long-term clients which have achieved their results but then they stay for the experience because they know that they're not going to keep it up on their own they enjoy coming. We have a laugh. Most of my clients end up becoming friends. You know, that's that's sort of how it works with me. You know, we have a Christmas do. We all go out together. Even with if they do stop training with me, I keep in touch with them. I meet up with them for coffees and, and what have you. Because, you know, some quite a few of my clients will train with me three times a week. You know, you get to know those people really well. And I always find it odd that you've spent all that time with people and then you never see them ever again. So... I like to do that. I like the personal touch. You know, they're they're more than just a client to me. They're people that I get to know and, and care about, and and I and I like to see where their journey takes them. You know. Yeah, definitely, and I think you become very emotionally invested into that person. Yeah, definitely. Well, you know, you're you're the, you're their confidant, aren't you? For a while, I mean, mine all, especially in, in the situation that I have, you're going into their home or they're coming here, and it's just me and them. There's nobody else around. You know, they they you become their counsellor, for want of a better of a word, as well. Sometimes, um, you know, you know about their life, you know what they're doing at the weekends, you know what they're going to eat when they go out. You know, it, it you know a lot of stuff about them, so. I I quite like to to keep that going really. Awesome. Well, we've been going for a while now, so um, <laughs> we're going to start wrapping things up. Um, okay. If people want to kind of find you, Sarah, I know you, Sarah Bourne, but yeah, <laughs> let's... yeah, don't look for that. You won't yeah. find me. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, could you just tell people where they could, like, you know, if they're interested in uh, working with yeah, you, especially sure. in the Bournemouth area? Yeah, um, well, my web address is sarahbrooks.co.uk. Um, my Instagram is sarahbrooks.pt. Um, my nutrition yet to be formed will most likely be underborn or something. Um, uh, but my personal Facebook is Sarah Bourne. So um, it's a bit confusing, I know. But if you if you go for the Brooks for work, you'll find me. Brilliant. I mean, I'll... I'll link everything into the podcast notes. But um, I'd just like to say a big thank you, Sarah, and again to any other Mac Nutrition University students if they want to give us a message over um, Instagram or Facebook. I'm more than happy to get anybody literally on the show because I'm finding it fascinating just talking to everyone. Um, So one last time, a, a big thank you, Sarah. 
thank you for having me. It's been great. I've I really loved listening to your podcasts. And I, I think whilst we're all so different and we all have different backgrounds and different clientele and everything else, we've all got the common ground of what in the same outcomes for our clients and to learn the same way. So I, th- I think it's really great. And I think we have got a very good little family thing going on, you know, the whole MNU family, as people call it. And I, and I think that's very true. Yeah, I think so too. But thank you very much. Cheers. And that's appreciated as well. (laughs) Cool. Okay.